What's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Alex Sullivan. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Welcome to episode seven for season 10. This episode was recorded on Cinco de Mayo, Tuesday, the 5th of May, a release on the 20th of 2020. This episode is sponsored by a black fan on Drew's desk and nobody else in particular. I am Alex Sullivan, here with my recently semi-centennial co-host, Drew Freeman. You got through those words. I was very impressed. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. That's right. This is my 50th episode of the Ray Wenderlich Podcast. Our guest for this episode is Andy Pereira. Andy is a senior iOS developer in the Atlanta area who has been a contributing author for RayWenderlich.com for nearly a decade. On this episode, Andy will flip Apple's magic catalyst switch to show how to get iOS apps running on the Mac. That's right, kids. It's not just an iOS show. It's an iOS and Mac show. Afterwards, Drew will talk about the differences between being an engineer and being an architect. Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. So I guess the big question that we're asking many people for this part of the season is, are you staying sheltered and staying healthy? Being here in Georgia, our uh, our government wants us to go out a little bit sooner, but we're uh, here in town. It seems like everybody's still trying to stay safe, stay indoors and uh, limit their exposure as much as they can. So uh, things have been things have been interesting here, but good. See, now I've read that you're, you're also a bit of a world traveler, so this has got to be a little bit of a pain. It is. Me and my wife, we, uh, we have a goal. Uh, we've been married for 11 years now, and uh, Congrats. We're, we're still in our, I guess, my mid-30s. Before we turn 40, we want to be able to hit 40 visited countries. Oh, Ooh. that's awesome. Uh, I so love this, it. Let's put a little bit uh, of a, you know, a problem in the plans there, but, but I, I think we can make it through. So what's the most interesting country you've been to so far? Uh, we, uh, su- surprisingly, we, we stopped off in Bratislava, Slovakia. Mm. Yeah, I cool. uh, didn't know what to expect, and it honestly ended up being one of, I think, our just favorite surprise countries that we've been to. Oh, that's awesome. What made it so interesting? Uh, well, honestly, you know, not, not to sound too ignorant American, we just didn't know much about it. Uh, you know, being that former communist country, there, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of information that we heard growing up. Uh, and when we got there, it was beautiful. The people were amazingly friendly. It was, uh, you know, what we expect going to most any European country, but uh, we knew nothing about it. We just were driving through and stopped for a day and a half there. and Absolutely loved it. Oh, that sounds really nice. So it's the sort of situation where you, since you had no expectations because you hadn't really like filtered any of the information, you ended up being blown away. Yeah. And I would say even after having been, I would, tell anybody to go. Uh, we, we made it through uh, Austria, Slovakia, and the Czech Republic. And mm. uh, you know the whole trip was amazing. But to, to have no expectations, just be surprised, I'd still say it's worth going back and, and, and seeing it for yourself. Yeah. That's awesome. I will spare you the question of what was the worst country, because that's <laughs> not fair to that country. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there has been one. We've, we've, had, we've had bad experiences. Like, yeah, yeah. Good answer. <laughs> They've all been good. Now, as for the other question I typically will ask is what you do in your spare time when you're not doing code. And for those who are watching this on YouTube with the uh, the full episode, you probably can see over Andy's shoulder <laughs> is a bunch of guitars and an amp. 
Yeah, so I, uh, I've been playing guitar for nearly 20 years. I've played piano uh, since I was six years old. Mm. Uh, so it's just been, music is a big part of my life. Um, recently, I was able to finally get, you know, a couple of these guitars that I've wanted for a long time, but that's helped this quarantine go by much easier for me. Do you have a, you have a specific style you like to play most? Uh, I'm usually, uh, if I'm playing acoustic, it'll be something like, uh, you know, contemporary folk. But if I'm playing electric, I'm really into playing blues, you know, Eric Clapton, Jimi Hendrix type stuff. That's, uh, that's where, yeah, I, li- I like just turning up the, the Fender amp and, and trying to get those types of tones through it. It's... So the obvious question now is, is Eric Clapton God? <laughs> one of them. If, if there's a trinity, he could be one of them. Yeah. Somewhere we got to find a, a copy of that picture for the for the show notes. That that Clapton is God picture that has yeah, a, dog, I, a dog taking a leak on it, which Clapton's always said sort of gives you the the, the macro and the micro of this entire picture. I, I I would endorse the the statement. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I like that. I would endorse that. <laughs> now, now you've been you've been writing for Ray now for for close to ten years. I, I have. It was. Uh, I, I think it was dumb luck. I was a pretty junior developer at the time, and uh, I had of course been reading the website to try and bone up uh-huh. you know, my chops and, and, and become a better developer. And I saw one day somebody wrote a Mac OS at the time, OS 10 tutorial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had written a couple of OS 10 apps for work and I thought, Hey, this is a great chance. Maybe I, I could, I could reach out and, and jump in. Um, I did my first tutorial about uh, Cocoa bindings and mm-hmm. core data and Ray, he, he was gracious and just said, yeah, that, that sounds good. And I've been writing for the website ever since. <laughs> and now you've done a, a you, you did the Catalyst by tutorials. You've done uh, other books, if I'm right. I wrote a couple of chapters for the iOS 11 by tutorials. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty busy when it comes to, you know, just my personal life. So it's been mainly the website articles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was, how was writing Catalyst for tutorials with the, the new technology having just dropped on everybody's lap? <laughs> Uh, I, I, we were kind of expecting it for about a year. So I at least was prepped mentally. I, I, I had uh, signed up to write for the book, uh, the year before it came out. And when it finally landed, there was a lot of nerves. It was a lot of, you know, for having to write the book, but it was very exciting to be a part of, um, and a big challenge to get through what, what was actually available and how to work with it. Let's do it. Let's take the 20,000 foot view of Catalyst. How, how do we explain what Catalyst is? Is it really just a switch? Yeah, yeah that, that's a, that's a, that's a hard answer. It's, it's, <laughs> you'll, you'll see on Apple's website, you'll see in the book. Um, the first, the first thing you do is you turn on a switch. And if you don't have really any crazy code, uh, your app will just run on the Mac. Ooh. Uh, but that's a whole different story is if you want it to look good, if you want it to behave like mm. a Mac app would. Mine didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you had some crazy code. Yeah, some crazy code. <laughs> no, actually, uh, we'll get to it later on. I had flutter, not flutter, uh, not flutter, flurry. Uh, okay. Let's say flutter should help with that. Endeavor. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I had flurry and flurry is a, an analytics uh, plug in, but unfortunately the way that flurry is written, it's, it's got the simulator code as well as the uh, compiled code, so oh, that caused yes. problems. 
Yes, that will, for sure. And we'll explain why shortly. <laughs> so, okay, so we flip a switch and we have, if it's no, not really crazy code, I'm assuming by crazy code you mean a couple of the frameworks just really you don't want to go there? Uh, in what we were doing, we didn't run into much. Uh, I really, I, I maybe use that term a little more in, in, in line with Apple kind of gives you this ability to write a good looking stock app. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us want to be able to write custom shapes, designs, colors. And when you put that all together, you could maybe make a great Mac OS app, make a great iOS or iPad OS app. Uh, sometimes those don't translate so well. Or perhaps you do have a situation like you did with Flurry or a third party library that just isn't going to support because of the way uh, maybe the binary is built for it. Mm -hmm. So what, what can you give me a rough idea of what's going on behind the scenes, at least as far as the, the third party world of people outside Apple understand it? I think the best way I could put it would be that Apple has exposed pieces of UI kit on Mac OS and also exposed things that maybe were only available in Mac OS for you to use on iPad OS mm. uh, and, and be able to compile without any worry about having to write code like uh, if it's app kit or if it's UI. But then again, hardware specific things are probably going to fail right off the bat if you're leveraging, say, the 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 back camera or leveraging the uh, the compass etc. Yeah, so there are there are little bits and pieces that if if you're using anything hardware specific, uh, you will run into that are easily uh, you can easily easily have a, a get a, uh, you have an easy workaround to uh, just say if it's this target OS that you want to work with, right. do this. Yeah, so, so the, those those macros come in a little bit different than they used to. So it's really getting to the point where you can have one, one code repository and with a couple of macros here and a couple of macros there, you have your iPhone app, your iPad app, your Mac app. And in some cases, you can also have your extension for your watch or TV apps all in one code base. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when we were One of the things that we did with the, the book Catalyst by Tutorials is we said, why don't we just take a... In a, an iPad app, one that is just fully written and show users how to do iPad OS things that will just, when you turn that switch on, work for Mac OS. Mm -hmm. uh, we, of course, had to do specific things that were, here's how you need to do, the, you know, maybe a specific thing just for Mac OS. But the goal was start a, just a great iOS app and be able to do whatever you need there and turn it on. Okay. I was going to say, so I've never, I've done some iOS development, but I've never written a Mac OS app. So I, I don't have a good sense of like, do you use UI table views in Mac OS or is it a different construct or? No, actually. Uh, so you have things like, uh, you, you'd probably recognize how they, you know, it's NS table view or NS mm. split view. Uh, there is a, an app kit equivalent uh, of most of those things. And there are plenty of other things that are available in Mac OS uh, in AppKit that aren't available, don't have a, mm. an equivalency in, in iPad OS. Is it just translating your, you know, UI scroll view to an NS scroll view under the hood? 
Actually, no, it's it's quite the opposite. You're going to just have a UI scroll view or a UI table view, UI split view controller, and those things are now available in macOS. And Apple's done the work of translating what that UI is supposed to look like for you uh, natively on macOS. One of the things that you pointed out was that you took an iPad app and you're specifically aiming more toward iPad than iPhone. And the reason I stopped here is because you mentioned the split view controller, which is one of the big separating differences that you find between the iPhone world and the iPad world is that yes. you get that, that, that targeting system where you, you actually have the list and it's targeted in the same place. Is that one of the, the split view controllers? Is that one of the primary reasons that iPad tends to work a lot better than iPhone for uh, the Catalyst project? To a developer, you're probably not ever really running into anything where you say, oh, this is iPad OS specific only. It's more, I think, the, the mindset, the mentality uh, more than anything. I, I know that, that deep down under the hood, there's something that they're doing differently for multitasking and, and handling all that. But but for the average developer, you're going to write a UI split view controller. You run it on an iPhone in, in portrait mode. It's going to be the standard list to detail uh, style that we're used to. The iPad will have it on, you know, split view. Uh, and, and it's that iPad world where you have a, a list on the left, the detail view on the right that translates more to Mac OS. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, you see it with the Notes app, where you have your list of notes on the left, your note on the right. Mm -hmm. uh, Apple Mail, they're all very, very similar and use those, those design patterns throughout. I begin to wonder how many of the Mac apps are currently Catalyst apps under the hood. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to sound dumb here, but I'm, I know that uh, the News app and the Stocks mm -hmm. app, those, those are for sure, and the, the, the Swift Playgrounds app. And I think uh, the, a, TV, a catalyst the TV yeah. app as well. Yes. Because the I'm, TV I'm sure app has more. Yeah. 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 But it's going to be things like you're going to discover that Mail or, or Safari or the, the, the mainstays of what's been on the Mac for a long time. Yeah. And, and when, uh, when they were previewing uh, in last WWDC, Safari on iPadOS, it just started to feel more like a desktop browser. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that's just part of that transition that Apple's trying to do. We're talking about, you know, the the... UI kit is there. Does Swift UI work as well? Yes. Yeah, so it, it seems to be Swift UI is just if you write a Swift UI app, you're going to write a Swift UI app that works for for both. Um, it's 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 a little bit different of a uh, of a a world that you work with. I would say that you probably want to be familiar with Catalyst if you're writing a Swift UI app, so that you can understand how maybe you take advantage of the menu bars. Or uh, how do you work those deeper connections into connecting to the dock icon or uh, some other of the OS level things that aren't available right out of the, the gate with, with Catalyst? Yeah, so let's, let's talk about some of those things that a Mac app we're used to. And yeah. just because my iPad app is now lit up on a Mac doesn't necessarily mean we're fully there yet because we've got menu, mouse, dock... How do these things work with Catalyst? Yeah, so the, unfortunately, there's some things that just aren't there yet. And I, and I would suspect that we'd see this year uh, a big jump. But uh, one of them, being able to just go in and edit, you'll see people change the dock icon uh, for certain scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, 
you have your menu bar ap applications that live up in, in the upper right hand corner of your, your menu bar. Uh, those things just aren't, you know, plug and play right out of the box. You have to use uh, a bundle and, and, you know, have your code live somewhere else and, and tie into that in order to be able to do it. Um, but for the average iOS developer, you can start to implement things like your, your, uh, your menu bar system where you have file edit, uh, th those options. And it doesn't take a lot to actually get to that point. Are you basically tying in by some form of deep linking to your, to your app? Yeah. So, uh, th that's probably the, the easiest way to put it is, um, you have just a, a delegate that can respond to, to menu commands. Okay. And, and then you figure out where you want to go from there with that. So it's not too different from if you were a Mac OS developer making menu bar commands. Um, you're just probably going to put it in a different file, maybe organize your code slightly differently than you're used to. But overall, very easy to, to pick up and do. I look at the book sometimes when I ask some of these questions. So I have to ask, does drag and drop present a special problem or is it if you implement drag and drop the way that Apple has you do it, you should be fine. Uh, it's one thing, though, that most iOS developers don't consider, I think. There's, there's a lot of uh, those types of features missing in a lot of iOS apps. But for a Mac OS user, this is something that you expect to just work, that you can drop a file, an image, move text around. And so it, it will maybe take an iOS developer a little bit more time to um, build that in when they weren't used to having to think about that. Is it really just things like the, 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 uh, the menu and the mouse to make it feel like a Mac app? Or is there, is there sort of a platform nuancing that you find you need? Well, one of the things that we, we did stumble upon on very early was the split view. And there's, there's a way that you can, if you just build your app with a split view controller, it's going to look a little odd in Mac OS. So you can just use some very simple preferences uh, on the split view controller. If it's running in uh, catalyst to say, use this different style to get what would really look correct on the platform. Uh, the other thing would be the cursor support, which, we're getting a little more used to with Apple's new uh, keyboard and touchpad uh, peripherals that are coming out for the iPad. Uh, we're not used to having to develop cursor support. And even on iPad OS, your cursor is either a little circle or it's going to be something that highlights uh, buttons in a, in a way that we're actually, I've, you know, I've never really seen work that way. Mm -hmm. But on Mac OS, you do have to consider, uh, do you make a button highlight? do you change something about the element that you're hovering over? And those, those features and tools are all built in to make that actually quite simple, we found. It was, we wanted to write a very large chapter on this, and then it was just, you know, <laughs> turn on a couple of things and you've got it. That, that's really interesting. So Hover is like a, a really interesting example of a thing that makes kind of no sense on an iOS app, right? Like what is hover is about yeah. touching the yeah. screen <laughs> whereas it makes a ton of sense on a on a desktop app what i'm interested in in like if you had some feature where you displayed something on hover would would that code would you have to use macros to figure out if you're on ios or mac os or is there a nice way to just be like 
Yeah, if I'm on a place that doesn't support hover, do nothing. Otherwise, do. You just have to add a hover gesture recognizer. Mm. That's it. And it just works on, like, yeah, does it just, just do nothing on it, iOS? It, it won't do anything. Uh, if you have uh, iOS, you don't have to worry about having that code not compile there. You don't have to wrap any special macros. Just add the hover gesture. Uh, just works. If, if you have an iPad app uh, and someone has the cursor turned on, it will do what you've asked it to do. Oh, and my on, goodness. On Mac <laughs> right. OS, you can have the tooltips. You can have uh, the different, whatever you need to have happen there. Because you, uh, it, it, you can use the Bluetooth um, trackpad now with the iPad, if I remember correctly. Yeah, in, uh, in iOS 13, you could use like a third-party mouse, Bluetooth mm-hmm. mouse, and that's how we wrote, that's how I wrote that chapter. <laughs> but the, uh, now the trackpad support, I believe, is there. I haven't had a chance to, to try it out myself. But uh, there are limitations that were there when we wrote the book. Uh, being able to change the cursor style to maybe the hand or the, you know, the, the insert symbol that we're used to seeing. Uh, more of those features are coming. Uh, there was some stuff that I saw that came through with the latest update to, to iPad OS and Catalyst to support more of those features. So I take it you jumped on this thing shortly after Catalyst was finally formally announced. Yeah, so we, we started writing the book. Uh, I think in late July, and we had spent that whole June and July uh, reading everything we could, coming up with the sample apps, and and really trying to to, to get ahead of it. Uh, we spent all of July and August writing the book. So between June and September, when the OS released, how much did Catalyst shift, grow, mature, etc.? Uh, at this point, I don't remember much. I don't think there was a whole lot. There was some changes to how the macro worked. Uh, they, there was a lot of bugs. It's, it's, it was, um, there was a couple betas there, if I remember correctly, that it was just very difficult to get through some of the features we were writing mm-hmm. uh, because of how buggy it was. They seemed to get out at the gate there, you know, in the release in September with things were, you know, generally stable. Uh, but once September came and people were, were using it, 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 it kind of turned into a pretty controversial framework and topic uh, in the yeah. Twitterverse. Yeah, the, the, the impression <laughs> I get is that there isn't a lot of gray. There's a lot of black and a lot of white that people... And that's it. That people <laughs> love it or hate it. Hmm. Yeah, and, and I... Maybe it's maybe I'm partial to it because I wrote the book. I, I love it, and I but I can see it for the the flaws that it has. Uh, I would have to commend Apple for doing something that's pretty crazy. I, I don't think we expected it to be the way it was, but there's a lot to work. There's a lot of work that needs to be done with it. Is the is the anger toward it just the incompleteness or the bugginess of it? I, I think that that's where a lot of people lie. I think. A lot of us, uh, and, and maybe those of us that are newer to the iOS world, we forget what iOS 3 or 4 was like. Uh, <laughs> and if you were never in that world, you probably don't remember the, or know the craziness that we would deal with with scroll views and, and table views. And Apple can get a really great thing uh, you know, started, and maybe we have to wait a few years for it to mature. And get to where it needs to be, but they're getting us ready. They're 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 helping us along the way. 
And and that sounds very Apple fanboy. But uh, <laughs> now, now that we're here in iOS 13, coming up on 14, I don't remember the struggles every day when I'm using Xcode, except for the problems that Xcode may, you know, crash on you. Uh, I imagine five years from now, whatever it is Catalyst has evolved into will be something that we all look at as this is just how you build apps. And it's it's that easy. So to, to restate, because I hadn't heard about the controversy, the whole, the, the main uh, argument is just whether people feel like it's a good idea to use Catalyst to like make macOS apps out of it or... Or is there some I, other dimension to it? You know, I don't, I don't know what the initial hate for what I, what I was seeing. If it was people that were Mac OS developers that just thought, hey, you can't do everything that I'm used yeah. to. Yeah. Um, which, which, to be fair, you know, there are arguments, there's a lot of arguments that were very valid that I saw and, and I could agree with and get behind and say, yeah, that would be great to have a change to. Uh, and then the other side of it was just, this is great, I don't have to do much. Um, but maybe that maybe you weren't used to having to make a pretty complicated desktop app. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You're not so you're not going to be writing a Photoshop in iOS to begin with. I mean, you're right, not gonna, you're not going to be writing Xcode for iOS. Well, I would hope so. I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, but but, I mean, but but you're you're right. Like the way that Photoshop works today, even though the iPad app is is very good, there's just I'm sure a lot of things that developers can just harness and utilize a Mac OS right off the bat. So I'd I'd also imagine I know that personally, there are times where, you know, a product manager or something has said, hey, let's just, you know, slap a web view in this app and then we're good to go. And I've been like, no, 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 you won't get the real experience. They won't have all this feedback. It'll be super laggy, yada, 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 all that stuff. Um, I could see a world where Mac OS uh, people who are mainly Mac OS developers might have a similar sense of like, no, 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 no. There's all this stuff you need to think about when you're making a desktop app. And I could see that fueling some frustration. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think it's it's a tool that developers have at their disposal. Not every tool is the right thing to use every single time. Uh, if you were to talk to my manager at work, she would tell you she thinks I hate you know things like React Native uh, or Flutter, and that's not the case. It's more just we picked a certain tool for the job we were doing, and and we don't want to try and blend or, or change and. Uh, I think it's silly to ignore those technologies, ignore something like Catalyst or, or, or just completely ignore iOS, but to be familiar with it and know what you're talking about when it comes to the scenario, then you can make the right and informed decision for sure. So can you talk a little bit about the, uh, the app that you worked with in the book? We, we made a, a journaling app. The journaling app was basically just a way to take notes and, and have the history of those notes. Yeah, so we wanted to expose the user to uh, as many of the iPad OS and Mac OS things as we could all up front in one app. Mm -hmm. um, we had the split view controller. We had a, a text field, text box that you could type in. And we had a photo picker and drop zone for dropping photos in, as well as menu commands, toolbar, mm -hmm. uh, everything all wrapped into one that was really what we felt brought a user into a true macOS app world. This almost is going to sound silly. Can you use the 
the touchpad on your Mac with this? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's um, it just seems the, like it's, it's 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 overkill. You you've walked away from your touched device so that you can go onto your Mac and use the touch part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So one of one of the things that we 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 wanted to do is show off how straightforward uh, the cursor support was. But the other thing was that we did show you how to build keyboard shortcuts. Mm, uh, cool. You can navigate the app using just your keyboard, uh, as a lot of power users may be familiar with on. You know their Mac OS apps, so we wanted to give you that experience. How do you have uh, hovering gestures? How do you have key gestures and, and tabbing and, and uh, working through that? We've we've sort of gone back and forth on this, but let's let's bite this one on on the on the tail. Would you call Catalyst baked at this point? Is it strong enough to put production into, or does it still have some growth it needs? I, I, I'm surprised at how much people can do with it. I think that it's baked in the sense that you can get your app out there. You can have your code base all in one project. Um, you may have to do some finagling here and there to get it there. But we've seen things like Twitter, uh, Jira, and, and Swift Playgrounds are using Catalyst and, uh, I don't want to get into the philosophical about whether these these companies, you like them or not, but the applications mm -hmm. seem to be good and stable. And, and I have tried them out just because I wanted to see how they work in interest of this topic. And, and I don't know what, what they went through, the pains they went through, but they have it there and it's working. So this is the, the part that I've slowly been terming uh, Santa Code Clause. <laughs> And that is, we are now just about a month or so from WWDC 2020 virtual. Exciting, yes. If you could get the ear of Apple engineers, what are you hoping to see in 2020? What do you wish was there that's missing? What, what's your wish list? There were, th there were things that I was running into, like... Uh just minor things that didn't have anything to do with the app, uh, like a color picker. Uh, that, that wasn't there. And, and that seems silly, but for some developers, that is a big part of their app. Mm -hmm. is, uh, for a photo editor or, or, or something of that nature, you may need something like that. So there's these, I would really just like to see more access to the Mac OS controls and features that may have no place in an iPad OS world, but I would still want to be able to code for without having to jump through a lot of hoops to get those into this app. You had mentioned the, uh, the, um, the specialty menu on the right side of the menu as well. It, it seems like a small thing, but there are many apps that you just want to live up there. Mm -hmm. uh, as I'm looking at this, you know, I, I see the, the zoom, the zoom icons there, and it's something that I can access and use. And mm -hmm. it's, it's important up there to me, especially in today's age. Um, Maybe I don't want it to live in my dock always, but it's it's a little thing like that that makes my app that would make my app feel integrated uh, for a user. You don't have to you don't have to find an excuse. I have a twenty seven inch monitor, and my utility <laughs> menu goes almost all the way to the camera. Oh yeah, it's, wow, it's <laughs> impressive. I love That's great. I, I love my little icons. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I I've written that you know at a previous job I've written just a few utilities that only lived up there and and it was sad to think oh I couldn't have done that with with Catalyst. 
Now, now you live in my world. You were a Mac engineer who made the jump to iOS. Uh, I was a uh, I was a you know college comp sci Java developer who found a an Objective C book somewhere and just fell in love. It was almost like with a, Objective you know, C. Wow. Yeah, it was this forbidden <laughs> thing. This I, I wasn't supposed to find it. I wasn't supposed to read it. Uh, I started just, you know, tinkering around. Uh, I petitioned for our school to have a an Objective C uh, iOS class that I finally got, you know, my last semester at college there, oh, wow. and uh, that was that was very early on, and that was it, it was kind of like I was doing both at the same time. Uh, I got a job where I was doing hybrid iOS apps, but making native Mac OS app, mm-hmm. Mac OS ten apps at the time. So that was kind of my my world early on. And now you basically are converting iOS apps to run on the Mac. I, I would like to find one that's a you know a real uh, real one that I've done. It's it's been all hobby projects at this point. I know that feeling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Andy, do you feel there's anything else you want to add in that's catalyst related? No, I was going over my notes, and I think that really covered everything. It, like I said, it's. Catalyst it's is a, a, is a lot easier than it seems. It is. It's a it's a big topic with a few short set of answers, and then if you really need to get deeper, it just becomes either too hard or impossible. I've used a couple. Well, one utility. Basically, I've used Flutter to to get a desktop app after out of a mobile app that I've made. And one of the things I immediately discovered was there's some view logic that I do in mobile that makes way less sense on um, bigger screens, basically. So like one example is maybe I'll have a button that goes all the way across the screen on my iPhone or on my Android device. Looks fine. If you have a button that goes all the way across the screen on your desktop app, it looks ridiculous. Are there like any, what's the answer for kind of handling that sort of stuff? That's what, you know, I, it's pretty easy. The moment you put your app into full screen the first time, you see how ridiculous it looks. Uh, if you were making an iPad app, just run it. it. It looks crazy. And that's where you do have to to really either rely on your designers or or just your knowledge of design yourself to say, how big is something supposed to be? Uh, and you start tweaking and writing maybe some minimal specific constraints or, or just minor changes for, for the desktop platform. Mm. I always smile and laugh when somebody says you just rely on your designers because most of us are hobbyists wanting to turn an app out by ourselves. And we're like, our designers, well, that'd be me with a different hat. <laughs> and I know and, and I'm not a designer. Yeah, And that's that's kind of where I I like to pretend like I'm a good designer. But <laughs> when it comes down to my hobby apps, I try and actually stick as much to a a native UI as possible. Mm. Just something that follows the HIG as, as much as it, it can, uh, because... I don't want to have to go back four years later and go, I don't know why I made this button, <laughs> you know, deliberately aqua and aqua's gone. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. It's lickable. All aqua all the time. <laughs> yeah. So Drew, you were talking a bit earlier about some of the differences between being an engineer and being an architect. Could you kind of elaborate on that a bit more? Meetings. <laughs> Just oh, I suppose you want more than that. <laughs> so that that's a right, quick topic. Sign off. <laughs> you know, it, it's it, in my current job. I I was brought on as a lead engineer, and you're deep in the code, and you're 
leading other engineers. You're showing them what to do code-wise. All of a sudden, I got pivoted to another group as the architect, and suddenly I'm the one learning the business logic from a technical point of view. I'm the one who has to be able to understand what they're trying to create and how to put this together. Literally, the, the, the word architect and everything that you get from the, the building idea, it really measures out. Now, I've done architecture before, but this is architecture on a grander scale because I am an architect for now a team of roughly 45 oh, wow. to 50 people. And all the tech people are, you know, I, I, I went from like number 65 in a group of 300 to number three in a group of, uh, of about 75, 80. Mm. So I am always looking at everything and trying to figure out what's the best way to put this together. What is the, the best way to understand the data structures and how they're going to interact with the UX? But on top of that, and I'm not kidding, I, I'm in meetings. I, <laughs> uh, I, I am almost always in meetings. And when I'm not in meetings, I'm doing code reviews and answering mm. harder questions from the lead devs. It's like, mm. I can't do this merge conflict. So are you, are you finding yourself, are you still actively programming or is most of it at a, at a higher like descriptive level? I have been handed one project where we've been given this sort of really technical thing that we have legacy code from, that the legacy code has to stand up and bark at some point. <laughs> and the legacy code was made by X company a long time ago. So they basically handed it to me and said, well, can you chisel out the stuff we need and can you make it stand up and bark? <laughs> which was really nice uh, and the reason it was really nice was because they said we, we want you to see what you can do with that in the next 8 to 10 hours we'll, we'll give you off on Friday from all of your meetings mm, there you oh. go yeah yeah the meetings <laughs> free like, yeah, I like that I, well, as I was meeting free I actually got I actually got a nap in the afternoon it was wonderful <laughs> but good. it's it, it's an interesting process because I'm not learning the minutia of the languages anymore and i can understand how one would then progress from an engineer into an architect into either um you know a vp engineering or a pm of engineering or something like that because your skills on the front lines become a little more rusty mm. You you need to be able to look at something and go okay here the here's the potential problem that you're seeing, but in truth a lot of your answers suddenly start becoming JFGI, um, which of course Wait, stands JFGI? for JFGI. Oh, all right, yeah. which, which stands for uh, just find it in Google. <laughs> I love it. That I like that. Yeah. My entire programming yeah. career. <laughs> or. Uh, or, of course, Stack Overflow. But from an architectural point of view, you don't necessarily have all the answers, but you know who to talk to mm. to get answers. You know how to ask the correct questions mm. to get those kind of things put together. That's interesting. So it's a lot of um, like knowing all the different strings to tug on to get to the final 
picture rather than yeah, working on whatever that string is attached to at that point. Right. Yeah. It's, it's having the, the technical chops experience to say, no, it's okay to break this. It's, it's okay yeah. to, uh, to change that, that call to watch how the compiler breaks things because that'll tell you how it works. Mm. But at the same time, it's not my job to solve it anymore. And that's that's a very strange feeling, because having been on the front lines in the trenches, et cetera, for so long, somebody hands me something like this. um, This uh, storyboard has a has a, a git conflict. It's like, well, I know what to do here. You need to. And it's like, no, no. I give them the base idea of what they need to do because they need to learn it. What do you do in that scenario? I usually just give up. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah, this this is good for the after show. Is how does one how how does one yeah, get conflict a, a storyboard? This is a great topic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's save that one for the after show. That'll that, that, that'll, that'll tempt people to come and, Perfect, and listen yeah. to come and see the, the the YouTube section because because that that's a long <laughs> process. Yeah. Um, Resolve early, resolve often. Mm. Um, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say. So, do you? I I imagine that role actually being very stressful. Like it sounds very stressful for me not to be able to, like when a problem comes up, not to be able to solve the problem. It, well, not even not being able to solve the problem, but but needing to exist with the problem still there. That makes well, sense. I think I think the important thing to realize is that I've got problems that I have to solve. Mm, yeah, you know, because I've got people higher on the food chain than me asking more <laughs> complex questions, like how are you going to make this work? <laughs> and I realize that the individual engineers who have their hands in their specific area of the code, they're not equipped to see the big picture. Sure. And this used to get me in trouble when I was a, a younger engineer is that I could always look at big picture and I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> so having a better look at the big picture, you know, okay, so here are your restful API calls and here are your data structures and here's what your UX is going to be like. Now, how are you going to do this asynchronously? And you've got so many different gears working together there that you have to be able to say, okay, this side of the team, you're going to work on this. Mm. And when those other questions come up that normally need to be solved that you used to solve, it's, I don't want to make it sound like it's beneath you, Mm. but there are other people. That's not your job right now. It's not your job. Yeah. And that's a really, that's an interesting learning experience when you make that transition. Mm. Yeah, that that does sound empowering when you get to that point where you're like, this is not my job. I am focusing on this. So delegate or whatever. And I feel good because I finally actually feel like I'm using my undergraduate studies, which was in (laughs) theater for directing. Mm. Oh, yeah, there you go. That feels very applicable. (laughs) Because directing in theater is the big picture and seeing how everything fits together on stage. And you're constantly telling your actors, you don't know about this. You only know your individual world. So that's how that all puts together, and that's how all that all sticks together. <laughs> Sounds uh, exciting. Exciting, daunting, terrifying, <laughs> and of course, meetings. 
<laughs> the endless stream of meetings. Oh my heavens, I had a three o'clock meeting today that got out at 3.15 and I was like, yay! <laughs> the joy of an early oh ending of a meeting. Just like, and they always say the same thing. They always say, well, we'll give you that time back. It's like, no, it's not like I had time to begin with. So I think that's going to wrap things up for this episode. I really... <laughs> really want to thank Andy uh, for his time and joining us on the show. Thank you, Andy, for all the information on Catalyst. I know it seems like there's not a lot, but it, it is a wonderful growing technology and it's got uh, an interesting future in the Apple uh, ecosystem. Thanks again for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for joining. Well, thank you so much. I, I had a great time with, with doing this today. Um, if you want, you can find Andy, Alex, or I on Twitter, maybe. <laughs> I am Podcast Drew. That's D R U. Alex is Alex Sullivan 444. And Andy is Mac Andy P, or possibly Mac and YP. We're not we'll never know. sure which. Yeah. <laughs> if you really want to find Andy, get the book Catalyst by Tutorials. It is a fantastic book, and you'll find that it's not that hard to get yourself started unless you're doing something weird. <laughs> our next exactly. episode coming up in about two weeks is brian kafitz with the long awaited by alex flutter episode Ooh, so and then our next uh, ios episode uh two weeks after that will be brian chick talking about fast lane also so excited which is a really great it's not just ios it's it's a really great uh scripting system for for your continuous integrations of course, for those of you listening to the podcast, we invite you to look for this episode a few weeks uh, from now on YouTube. Uh, the video episode contains some information that we dropped on the cutting room floor, not necessarily our mistakes, but but some of the material that we just didn't get around to talking about. And there'll be a little more casual after show with our guests as soon as we finish up with the podcast. So we hope you'll check it out. In the meantime... For Alex and myself, for the uh, audio podcast version of the show, we're going to head back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWendell.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.